This podcast is sponsored by Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management, award-winning wealth managers who go above and beyond to support and guide you. Visit candowealth.com to start building your wealth with confidence. Welcome to Coffee House Shots, the Spectator's daily politics podcast. I'm Katie Balls and I'm joined by Fraser Nelson and James Forsyth. Yesterday, we spoke about the departure of Manira Mirza after James Forsyth revealed the news on Coffee House. Since then, there have been several more resignations. At the time of recording, that is 12.11 on Friday, there have been four more. James, when we break these down, uh, we had a situation last night where three figures resigned from Downing Street after Manira, so Jack Doyle, Martin Reynolds and Dan Rosenfield. And... This is where it starts to get a little bit confusing because these are resignations that Boris Johnson wanted to happen and thinks could win over MPs. So, yeah, so Manira Mirza resigned over Boris Johnson's refusal to kind of withdraw the Jimmy Savile barb at Keir Starmer. I I think number 10 saw how big that story was playing and this Jimmy Savile thing is something that has caused discomfort to a lot of Tory MPs and so decided that they, if they were going to make changes to Downing Street, they might as well pull them forward anyway. So we then had... Three more departures, Jack Doyle, Dan Rosenfeld and Martin Reynolds. And, you know, Boris Johnson's so shadow... the Director of Communications. The Chief of Staff and the Principal Private Secretary, who's the most important civil servant in Downing Street. And Boris Johnson's shadow whipping operation were then flooded out to try and tell MPs, you know, he told you he would make changes to Downing Street at the meeting of the Parliamentary Party on Monday. Here they are, here they're coming. I mean, the problem is that these changes were meant to show Boris Johnson in charge, but they look slightly chaotic, so they lost some of that. And also, we've had the departures, but we haven't had the replacements lined up. And I thought it was very telling that the press notice last night emphasised that Martin Reynolds and Dan Rosenfeld would carry on doing their jobs until their replacements had been selected. I think one of the problems they've got, number 10 have got, is, you know, Tory MPs want to see some big hitters in this role, in this job. And Boris Johnson told Tory MPs on Monday night that Linton Crosby was coming back. Now, he picked his words quite carefully, saying that he'd be seeing Linton Crosby coming in and out of the building more often. But I think it is not a secret that Boris Johnson wanted Linton Crosby to take on some kind of formal role. And instead, what we've got is Linton Crosby stressing that, you know, he is just going to be offering kind of advice, phone calls, that kind of thing, not having a formal part in the number 10 structure. And then this morning, a phrase we've had another member of the policy unit resign, and that goes back into the camp of resignations that are not linked to Partygate and Boris Johnson trying to say there's been a clear out. I think what gets quite confusing here is ultimately it looks a bit as though a vacuum is developing in Downing Street, but some of this is intended to be changed. But who is Boris Johnson going to be able to bring in? We've already had Linton Crosby distance himself from suggestions that he was going to have a significant role. Well, that's the big question. I mean, what I suspect happened, I don't know this, but I suspect that Manira Mirza thought yesterday that she couldn't take it anymore and quit. And then number 10 thought, okay, if she's going, let's be good day to bury bad news. Let's just get all of our resignations out for, uh, as, as much as we can rather than have a drip, drip, drip. I mean, if they weren't careful, they could have had a resignation a day. And so, so I think that that's why they put forward these positions. I mean, Dan Rosenfeld is still there as chief of staff. He's going to be there until a replacement is found. 
but anybody can can you know fire people. I could fire a third of the people of Spectator tomorrow and claim it was a great rejuvenation. But a rejuvenation only comes if you've hired people. Anybody can this fire. This tells us we're being replaced, Kate. <laughs> well, that be, you know what I mean, James? It's, it's, it's nonsense. It's like it's, it's overall saying I'm fed up with my job. I'm going to quit. Anybody can do that. But is getting a new job that's a difficult thing. The, if Boris Johnson wants to show that he's getting a new direction, he needs to appoint people. Of course, we all we all knew that Dan Rosenfeld was going to be um, walking the plank. We knew that about Jack Doyle as spokesman. Nobody thought that about Manira. That was a genuine shock. James's scoop. Uh, yesterday. Number 10 has been one of the worst places to work in London over the last few weeks. Of course, people are going to want to leave that place as soon as it is um, decently possible. I'd be surprised if there weren't at least another three or four resignations by the end of next week, not necessarily big names, but anybody who's got number 10 on their CV, anybody who took part in any of those parties, would probably want to move on rather than wait for the Metropolitan Police to come and pass a verdict. But this is the problem. Boris hasn't announced anybody who's coming and who's impressive. They've got Andrew Griffith, of course, um, the former Sky financial director. He's a, um, a very accomplished guy. He's, I think, quite a promising um, future politician. But Andrew Griffith is not a new name. He's an existing Boris loyalist. He's just simply had, had his portfolio extended in the same way that when David Frost quit, they just got Liz Trust to take David Frost's job rather than recruit somebody. The moment that the Prime Minister loses his ability to recruit decent people is the moment that premiership is irredeemably sunk. And I and my own my own view on whether Boris is going to survive or not has actually changed quite a lot in the last 48 hours. I have got a lot less faith now in his ability to recruit. This is his superpower, or rather, this is his main power. When he was um, editing The Spectator, people would say, what kind of editor is he? And he comes in twice a week, shags the staff, go home. But no, he was actually incredibly good at building a fantastic team, many of whom are still here now. He saw in Ron Little, for example, this, this brilliant writer who, um, who was a Radio 4 producer at the time. I mean, he, you, know, you, you don't need to run something yourself to be a great leader. Boris has demonstrated that time after time, but that's only if you're good at picking and choosing and evolving. That if he's lost his ability to spot talent, to hire talent, to oversee a human hive of creativity in the way that he did when he was doing my job, in the way that he did when he was in City Hall, then he loses his ability to govern and he loses overall. And James, let's talk through some of the politics here of, um, you know, shaking up the number 10 operation because Boris Johnson has a few options. You have a situation where I've talked, some have departed, but there was a push um, from Tory MPs to say not only do they think, you know, the author of the BYOB email should go, but there's uh, there are different groups who want different things. So you have some Tory MPs who want someone like David Canzini to come into number 10, an ally of Linton Crosby. If you can't have Crosby, might as well get someone who at least shares some of his ethos into the building. There are others who want to see uh, those aides who they think have close links to Carrie Johnson to to at the very least have their power diluted, if not moved. But when it comes to that group, who I think would probably be more seen as uh, people like Henry Newman, they're still in 10 Downing Street. So is there going to be a crunch moment when they actually name that new chief of staff, which is going to tell us more about how Boris Johnson thinks he can survive, or I suppose how seriously he takes the threat against him? So it's worth remembering that when Boris Johnson appointed Dan Rosenfield, one of the things he was really pleased with himself about is that by appointing someone who was a 
former Treasury civil servant turned banker. He was basically appointed someone who had no links to any Tory faction. And remember, this was at a time when Downing Street had been kind of torn apart by kind of infighting between various factions. That actually, that lack of political background, I think, actually was one of the reasons why Dan Rosenfeld couldn't couldn't do the job in the end. He just didn't know enough about the Tory party. Now, I think David Canzini is probably quite a strong favourite to be the chief of staff because, you know, by all accounts, he is he is keen to do the job. And, you know, that, that, is, that is a major qualification at the moment. But I think that the challenge they've got is, at the moment, Boris Johnson is in a position where everything he does, he leans one way to try and placate one set of Tory MPs, and that upsets another. You know, you just look at the, the what happened with the national insurance rise. You know, Boris Johnson, you know, nodded along when Tory MPs put the case to him for cancelling it. Then he came out. Then the, the, the Treasury essentially were like, well, how are you funding the social care policy then? And then you have the Prime Minister and the Chancellor recommitting to the national insurance rise. And that alienates those MPs who thought that they had persuaded Boris Johnson on on their point about cancelling it so I think this is a I think this is the problem for him now which is and this is why I think his 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 route to survival is narrow is because there aren't any easy answers anymore and people are very impatient to see results from him so if he says he's going to do something people people want to see it almost immediately rather than giving him time as they did before to do that and Fraser this morning Boris Johnson has addressed uh, some of his remaining staff members in number 10. Oh, um, I thought you were say in the phone box there. You know, he's, he's given a pep talk where he quoted the Lion King saying change is good and it can be necessary. Um, there has been an effort by some Tory MPs to say, oh, this is what we want to see. So is there a chance that actually he is able to move from this next week? Well, I would quote back to him another line from the Lion King. Can you feel the love tonight? He can't. There is no love for Boris Johnson. There's no great desire for him to stay. I mean, right now, it's the mood of the party, the mood around him. Uh, and I think that is that is the more pertinent question. Change is good, but we haven't seen change. We've just seen decay right now. We've just seen people leaving. We haven't seen anybody um, coming in. And I'm afraid to say that um, all of the um, Disney songs in the world can't alter that simple fact. Boris Johnson is always somebody whose strength and potency has been defined by the calibre of the people around him. He's always been somebody who has managed to have a hugely high calibre of people around him. But when those people leave, when they can't be replaced, then he doesn't have change to offer. He's simply got um, a rather deteriorating path in the government which is fast running out of momentum. It's possible that he, um, that he pulls out of this. He's pulling out of those a far, well, I wouldn't say greater scrapes than this because this is probably the greatest scrape he's been in, but he has pulled out of pretty big scrapes before. It's increasingly difficult to see how he pulls out of this one. And Fraser, just on that, what about Rishi Sunak and all this? Because we have a situation where in that press conference yesterday, Rishi Sunak was asked about the Jimmy Savile comments and he ultimately said, you know, I wouldn't have said that if I'm being honest. We've had a bit of a, maybe not a slapdown, but, uh, you know, a hit back from number 10 spokesperson today saying that they don't agree with everything that Rishi Sunak says all the time. So are we starting to see those number 10, number 11 tensions come up as Boris Johnson authority is weakened? 
Well, we are, but again, to go back to The Lion King, we are all connected in the great circle of life. In this context, those two are in it together. They both want the tax rise to go ahead. Rishi Sunak, you know, I, I'm not quite sure that Rishi Sunak can, can draw too much of a dividing line from the Boris Johnson government in which he has been Chancellor. So I would um, not get particularly excited to go, down, to go down that road. And again, from The Lion King, as I say, because it's your responsibility, and it is Rishi Sunak's responsibility, the cost of living, inflation, the borrowing, the debt, a lot of the main headaches we're getting right now are economic problems. He's Chancellor. So I think right now he isn't getting that many hard questions, Rishi Sunak, but that ought to change. And James, do you think we're going to see more cabinet ministers speaking out a bit? It's interesting there have been comments from Sajid Javid this morning, but I wonder as... Boris Johnson's position becomes more, I suppose, vulnerable. Do you think ministers are going to be less disciplined? I, I think you're going to see a, a divide. So Simon Clark, the Chief Secretary of Treasury, went on Newsnight last night to say, you know, to defend the Boris Johnson remark on Jimmy Savile, which Jacob Rees-Mogg also did in the House of Commons on Thursday. Sajid Javid said, you know, the, the other way round is the kind of Sajid Javid, oh, I'm very glad he's clarified what he meant. And then Sajid Javid paid uh, a tribute to Keir Starmer's time as DPP, which the irony of that, you know, in some way is this is a situation the Tories have got themselves into. I mean, I think Starmer's record as director of public prosecutions is a subject for legitimate scrutiny. I think he made some very strange choices. I think his decision to prosecute, you know, you can say this is special pleading from one profession, but I think his decision to prosecute so many journalists was, was fundamentally misheaded, wrongheaded, and, and had a kind of chilling effect on press freedom. But the problem is, the one thing I think, you should, I think that was not right was that kind of below the belt barb about Savile. And if that then means that the Tories have to pretend that Keir Starmer was kind of some great director of public prosecutions, that is a very, very strange setup. I think, though, that they, I think though, one of the things that you will see, and you can see this from what Sajid Javid said this morning, that is that, that cabinet ministers aren't, you know, if they don't want to, they aren't going to go out to defend the remark. And it is worth remembering that Dominic Raab, when asked about it, his, on the, uh, when he did the Today programme the day afterwards, his immediate response was, I'm certainly not going to repeat it. And you mentioned Simon Clark's media around and how he was a loyalist who's still trying to defend the Prime Minister. But there was quite an interesting moment when he was asked, I think, on Channel 4, is this the last days of Rome? And he said the last days of Rome were more fun. <laughs> thank you, James. Thank you, Fraser. And thank you for listening. And can-